Good morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good to see you guys. A uh, couple things I just want to share with you this morning before we dive in uh, today. Uh, first of all, for those of you who may have not been here last week for Memorial Day weekend, uh, if you notice right out the back doors, we do have these 90-day prayer devotionals um, that we gave out last week. We are going to be doing a series on prayer later this summer, and uh, we thought this was just a great tool to help you guys get kick-started um, to be able to have and to start incorporating that next step of a habit of devotional time and prayer in your life. So that is a free gift for you. If you didn't get it last week, please be sure to grab one of those books on your way out. I think you're going to enjoy um, getting in the habit of prayer this summer. Also want to make an announcement for those of you who are part of the parenting small group that Julie and I have been leading. Um, we were off last week, but we are again picking up this week in the parlor immediately following service. So if you're part of the parenting group, please make sure uh, to know that we are starting again this week. So welcome to church. If it's your first time here or first time back in a while, you picked a great week to come out today because today we are launching a brand new series here at First Light South Portland Church. And men, um, I think this series is going to be especially fun for you. I think it's going to be great for our women too, but I think it's going to be especially fun for you and I'm pumped about it. And the reason I'm excited is because over the next four weeks, I believe that God is going to do something supernatural in the lives of our people here, and maybe especially in some of our men. Because we believe here, and scripture teaches, that within each and every one of you, men and women, is the potential for supernatural greatness. And if you'll make a commitment to be here each week over the next four weeks in this series, hearing God's word and applying it, not just listening, but starting to apply it in your lives, I believe that God is going to do something special and raise up some spiritual leaders that are truly going to start to make a difference in our world. And the reason I think this is so important, especially for our men, is because historically, there has been a shortage of godly men in this world. I think the women have held up their part in large part when it comes to church community over the last 100 years or so especially. But I think men have often drifted. And so I think this is going to be critical. In fact, I want to start this series with one of the most tragic verses I think found in the Bible, and it's found in Ezekiel 22:30, and it's where God says this. He said, I looked for such a man among them who could build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. God said, I looked for such a man, but how many did he find, church? Zero, not one at that point in history, not one who would stand in the gap. I mean, perhaps if God were speaking that verse today, he would say, I'm looking for a man, I'm looking for a woman who's willing to go all in with me. I I'm looking for a man, I'm looking for a woman of courage. I I'm looking for a man who's willing to lay down his life to serve his bride as Christ laid down his life for his church. I'm looking for a woman who's willing to love her husband with a godly kind of love. I'm looking for a man who's going to love his children 
enough to impart spiritual wisdom to them and to lead them towards God. I'm looking for a woman who's going to make God the center of their home and their family, who's going to lead by example for her kids. I'm looking for a man, I'm looking for a woman who's willing to stand in the gap. But I believe with all my heart that if God looked for such a man or woman in this place, that he would probably find some. I I believe that God would find men and women whose hearts beat only for him. So today we're launching into a new series, and and we're going to study the life of a really interesting character in Scripture, a guy by the name of Samson. And you can read all about Samson in the Bible in the book of Judges in chapters 13 through 16. Today I'm going to kind of give an overview of chapter 13. I'm going to unpack a little bit of the background of this world's strongest man in the Bible. And then we're going to dive into some attitudes that can make strong people weak. Not a lot of people know a lot about the character of Samson. But we're going to dive in today and we're going to talk about a little bit of who he was. First of all, Samson's accomplishments in scripture are pretty legendary. But at the same time, so are his weaknesses. I mean, he's had some colossal, colossal blunders and weaknesses when you look at his life and you look at his story in scripture. In fact, church, I think he's a little bit like many of us. So much potential. So much God-given potential, and yet again and again and again, we see him make really poor decisions. God has given him, just like you and me, this incredible potential for greatness, and yet again and again and again, he makes really, really bad choices in life. In fact, if I could summarize Samson's life with maybe one statement, it would probably be something like this that Samson was a powerfully strong man with an equally weak will. A powerfully strong man with an equally weak will. Just like so many of us, incredibly strong, tremendous potential in life, but at the same time, he had some demons and he had some weaknesses that cost him dearly. So let me unpack the context around this story. The Israelites... The people that Samson was a part of, they had been unfaithful to God. And so if you remember your Old Testament history, the the Israelites, God's chosen people, they kind of have this up and down relationship with God where they are close to him and things go well and then they drift and and God gives them some consequences and and he loves them and they're his chosen people. And yet there's kind of this relationship where they're kind of the prodigal child who constantly drift away. And so at this season, God has put them under the rule of the Philistines, their enemies. And after many years under the oppression of the Philistines, God finally says, okay, I think you've learned your lesson, my children. I'm going to raise up a man among you named Samson, and he is going to deliver you from bondage. And so an angel of the Lord appears before a couple that were unable to conceive And the angel says, God's going to do a miracle for you. And you're going to give birth to this little baby named Samson. And from that very beginning of Samson's life, Scripture says the Holy Spirit of God stirred within him. And God, in supernatural ways, ways we can't even understand, gave him this strength 
that was beyond our imaginations. He was, he was a real-life superhero in history. And, and the angel says, I, I want you, though, to have your son live by what's known as the Nazarite vows. The Nazarite vows. Now, if you want to jot this down, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Numbers chapter 6 in the Bible. Numbers chapter 6. That's where you can go and you can read in more detail about the Nazarite vows. But what's a Nazarite vow? Well, this is, you know, this was essentially kind of a way where a person who wasn't clergy, they weren't a priest in the temple, but they could still, just an ordinary person, they could make some vows, some really serious, strict vows before God to be set apart, to be holy, and to be used for the glory of God. And so a non-priest could say, I'm going to live by these vows. I'm going to be this kind of lay person who's going to live by these vows and I'm going to devote myself to be all in and to serve God completely. And there were three big aspects to these vows that Samson had to live by. And the first aspect was this. Number one, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. No wine, no champagne or martinis, no Budweiser, Coors, no margaritas with your Mexican food. Don't let your lips touch Alcohol, And for certain, don't fall into sin and get drunk. The second thing was this. Number two, don't touch anything dead. Don't touch anything dead. Don't do it. Don't star on the walking dead. Don't go zombie hunting. Nothing like that. Nothing dead. Okay? The third thing was this. Number three, a little bit different. It dealt with his own body. Number three, you guys might know this about Samson. Don't what, church? Cut your hair. Don't cut your hair. Let your hair grow long. Let it flow like the members of Hanson, okay? Sorry, I still have a few 90s references left in me from the last series, okay? Some of you might say, well, Pastor, if he grew his hair out really long, what style was it? We don't know, okay? We don't know scripturally what style he kept his hair in. Uh, I can promise you one thing with every bit of spiritual integrity I have. Um, I do not believe that Samson ever had a mullet. I don't, I don't think there was ever a mullet on Samson. No business up front, train wreck in the back. I believe that is an ungodly haircut. It has been throughout all of history. Everyone who agrees with me, yes, say it aloud. Amen, that's right. Even if you wore one, okay, back in 1990 and you thought you were cool, you weren't. May God's grace be upon you. You can be forgiven and healed in Jesus' name. Amen, okay? So anyway, Samson had long hair. Now you might be saying, well, what's up, what's up with the hair? Well, just like baptism, we do baptism often around here, and baptism we talk about as being an outward expression, right, of an inward change, that God has done something inside of you, and you go public with that decision, and you share it. That's what baptism is all about. And just like, you know, my wedding ring that I wear is an outward expression of my inward commitment to be faithful to my wife, Julie, Samson's long hair was a visible sign. It was an outward commitment that he was set apart, that he was to be used by God. And so here we see all of this greatness. We see God's hand upon his life, God's strength with him, so much so that Scripture talks about when the Holy Spirit came upon Samson, he had the power to slay a thousand wicked Philistine men by himself without breaking a sweat. 
When God's strength was with him, he had the power to literally rip a lion in two pieces. He had the strength to do that. He was um, like the, the living Incredible Hulk, the real life superhero, the Incredible Hulk. And yet, with all of this God-given strength and potential, his weak will got him into trouble over and over and over again. And in this series, we're going to watch as Samson betrays the God who he claims to love for a handful of honey. We're going to watch as his temper gets the best of him and he unrighteously kills 30 innocent men. We're going to watch as he falls victim to pursuing the wrong kind of woman and he lusts after women and it gets him in trouble. See, he was just like us. He had so much potential in life and yet again and again and again, he squandered it. And I don't know what it could be for you, but I see this, I see this all the time. I don't know how many men I've seen over the last 20 years in pastoral ministry who are so aggressive at work. They are type A personalities getting things done at work. They're leaders in the workplace. But then they come home and they're passive and they're hands off. And they don't lead their families. They especially don't lead their families or set an example for their families spiritually anywhere. Certainly not towards God. They're committed one place, totally, and adrift in another. I know men everywhere, and they're so committed to their finances and their bank statement or their career or their hobbies or their sports teams, and yet they can't make a commitment to a woman. I don't understand what's up with that. I know men that will research and study and they'll spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure out what's the best rod and reel that I can buy. What's the best firearm that I can go to Cabela's and, and purchase? The best car, the best set of golf clubs. They'll spend all that time researching and studying and planning to do that. And they won't spend five minutes a day in God's word to help spiritually build themselves. I know so many men that truly love God. They really do. They love their wives. They love their kids. And yet these men with so many gifts are trapped in the prison of lust. And they're too afraid to ask for help. And they just spin in a cycle of addiction getting up late at night, looking at a computer screen or on their phone. So much potential, and yet at the same time, self-destructing behaviors with bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. Well, Samson's life shows us three specific ways that strong people can become weak. And these things, if you're taking notes, are these. Lust, entitlement, and pride. Lust, Entitlement and pride. And men and women can struggle with all of these things. So let's unpack these dangerous things today. Number one, lust. What is lust? Lust is when someone sees something that they desire and they say, I want it, I gotta have it, and I'm willing to do anything for it. And what will happen is, especially for a man who wants something, when they fall into a pattern of lust, 
they will forget about all reason and they will forget about all logic. It may be he wants a woman, a quick thrill. It could be that he wants money. He wants to conquer something, a new house, a new car, a better job, the next new shiny thing to come along. But when he wants it, he can forget about all logic, all reason, and he will pursue what he wants with reckless abandon. And Samson does this in Judges 14, verses 1 through 2. Here's what scripture says. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. So Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a very attractive Philistine woman. And Samson was a real sucker for a good-looking woman. And so he returns home, and he tells his parents, I've seen this Philistine hottie, and I'm in lust. I mean love. This is definitely love, mom and dad. I know nothing about her personality, her intelligence, her virtues, anything like that, her values. But just looking at her, I can tell you it's love. My intentions are pure. Now, let's step back for a second and actually look at what Samson did here. What did he do? Well, first, he left Zorah, his hometown, and he traveled four miles away to Timnah, which was enemy territory. He left his friends. He left his family. He left his sphere, his inner circle, and he goes to his enemies, and there he sees a woman who's forbidden to him because God had said to the people of Israel, you shall not intermarry with those who do not worship me because God saw how easily the Israelites were being led astray by idol worship and false gods from other cultures. But when Samson sees this woman, he forgets all about that. He forgets all about his commitment to God, his love for God, and he says, I want her. I don't care what God says. I don't care what my parents say. I don't care what the wise choice is. I'm a man. I got desires, and I want her. So number one, lust can make a strong person weak. The second destructive attitude, if you're taking notes, is this, entitlement. Entitlement. Not only do we all sometimes want stuff, but sometimes we struggle with entitlement, and we believe we just deserve it. We believe I deserve that. I want everyone to just say that this morning. Say, I deserve it. With a little more passion. Say it, I deserve it. Yeah, what's wrong with that, Pastor? What's wrong with that? I work hard. I've been slaving away. I deserve some stuff. I put up with him every day. I put up with her, right? I deserve it. And we're going to watch as Samson gets this attitude of entitlement. So Samson, he's going along one day and a lion jumps out at him on the road. Now you might hear this and go, what? Oh, so what? Big deal. Another person in the Bible kills a lion. David did that. No big deal. And if you think it's no big deal to kill a lion, you've lost your flipping mind this morning. I just want to point that out to you, okay? The only reason you believe that is because you have never seen a real-life lion out in the wild, okay? And I'm not talking about going to the zoo and looking at something behind a cage. 
I'm not talking about turning on your TV and watching the Nature Channel in HD. Okay, that doesn't count. See, I've seen a lion up close and personal. Several years ago, my, my wife Julie and I, we had the opportunity to go to Kenya, Africa. Um, we got to meet um, a child that we were sponsoring in Africa and uh, do work in a rural community at his school. Um, we helped to provide some clean water, did some rehab on the schoolhouse through an organization called the 410 Bridge. It was an amazing trip. I'd love to go back someday. Any of you want to go to Africa with me? Would any of you like to do that? Awesome. Okay, cool. We're going to Israel, by the way, in February, if you didn't know that. Um, I'm really excited. Africa, like Israel, was another like life-changing trip for me it, that just really kind of refocused me on God in a lot of different areas. Um, by the way, I think we have 48 people from our church going to, to Israel, which is awesome. In February, we have two spots left, so if you're still interested, let me know. But maybe we'll do Africa a few years after that if we can all recoup our funds, okay, from that, from that trip. We'll try to make that happen. But on the final day of this mission trip in Africa, we got a rest day at the end of the trip. And so we got to go on a real-life African safari, and on that safari ride, we ran into a male lion. Here's a photo taken of an actual African lion in the wild. So that was an African lion just chilling in the wild. There was no enclosure, there's no cage, no security gate around the lion. It was right there. You could, if you wanted to, and if you were insane, walk out to it and pet it and meet Jesus, like you could do that, okay? In fact, one of the members of our team, um, who was a little crazy, by the way, was a guy named Brian. And Brian was legit, legit military. Um, he was in his 20s. He had about 5% body fat, um, was part of special forces, jumping out of airplanes, extreme adrenaline junkie. And as our uh, safari guide was explaining things to us about the African bush and the safari and lions, Brian was so fascinated by this lion and wanting to get a perfect picture of this lion that he very casually but covertly, Batman style, climbed out of the window in the back of the safari bus, pulled himself up onto the roof of the safari vehicle and began taking pictures of this lion. And only a few of us saw him do this and we were just kind of in shock. And then the lion, who was just laying in the grass, chilling in the afternoon sun, jumped up to its feet and started moving towards our bus, probably thinking, I could go for some American food right now, right? <laughs> that looks delicious and not as fast as an antelope, okay? And so as this lion starts moving towards Brian, that rhymed, I can make a scary Dr. Seuss book after this story, right? The lion ate Brian, we were all crying. But as the lion, started moving towards us, our safari guide was like, huh, that's really odd. I don't think I've ever seen a lion act that way towards a safari vehicle. It almost looks like he's hunting prey. And the males don't even really do that that often. It's usually the females that are the ones that hunt the prey. 
And that's when I spilled the tea and pointed out to our guide that one of her crazy American guests was not in the bus, but on top of the bus, okay? And at that point, our safari guide lost her flipping mind, and she starts screaming, Brian! Brian, get back in the bus, Brian. And then I started freaking out. And everybody in our group on the bus starts freaking out. And I'm like 67% sure that I didn't cuss, but I'm about 100% sure that I thought of a couple words in my mind, okay? It was scary. I was scared. It was like one of the scariest moments, you know, in my life. And you guys know, I don't like cats, okay? You guys are aware of this about me, right? And that line was one of the biggest steroid-filled satanic cats that I've ever seen. It was one of the scariest experiences. Um, some people on the team actually peed themselves in that moment, okay? I'm not naming names. One of their names rhymed with Thule. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> My wife's going to kill me later. But anyway... I just have to tell you that because when Samson came across this wild lion, the Holy Spirit of God came upon him. And when the lion jumped and attacked him, Samson actually catches the lion and rips the lion apart. Now that's pretty cocky, right? That's like crazy manly right there. He literally ripped that big satanic cat apart. Now, sometime later, the Bible says in verse 8, that when Samson went back down that same road to go marry that Philistine girl he was lusting after, he passes by the same spot where that incident had happened, where he had previously killed the lion. And what does he do? Verse 8, here's what it says. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. Scripture says he turned aside. And I think that's kind of important because I think, church, that's often when we get in trouble, isn't it? When we're traveling a certain direction and then we kind of turn aside and we drift from where we're supposed to be going. And Samson looks at this rotting lion carcass and he sees a swarm of bees and he sees some honey. So he goes up to it and he scoops up the honey from the rotting flesh of this lion that he had killed and he starts to eat it. Now there are two big theological kind of truths that I think we can take away from this account. Number one, that's nasty, okay? <laughs> I mean, you got to admit, that's pretty, pretty nasty. And, and the reason why is, men, we're kind of nasty, okay? All my men, just admit it this morning, just say it with me. Look to a lady next to you and say, sorry, ladies, we're nasty. Right. And, and if you don't believe me, watch how a man determines if a pair of his underwear is clean in the morning, Okay. If it's clean or dirty, watch what he does to determine that. What does he do, men? We're not even going to tell you. We're not even going to tell you what we do because why, men? It's nasty. That's right. It's nasty. Okay. What are we? We're nasty. Uh, and, and don't act like you haven't done it before, men. Okay. Yeah, I think it's genetically encoded within all of us. My three-year-old does it. Daddy, is this clean? He does it. Okay. My three-year-old. 
Some guy in here right now with his girlfriend or fiance, baby, I don't do that. That's not me. He's lying. You're in church right now before God and you're lying. You're probably the guy who flips it inside out and wears it for another week. That's probably you, okay? For all of our first-time visitors today, welcome to First Light South Portland Church. Sorry about that. Please come back again. But we guys can be nasty, uncivilized brutes, okay? We're just... We're, we're nasty. We leave toilet seats up or don't wipe them down. We don't use deodorant in middle school. For all of you who have middle school boys, you know that. We reuse the same towel until it grows legs and crawls away from us because we're nasty. Deep theology, number one. Number two, when we're entitled, we ignore God. When we're entitled, we ignore God. Let me ask you a question, church. What was Samson not supposed to do as a Nazarite? Do you remember? Touch dead things. That's right. He wasn't supposed to touch dead things. Things that were unclean. What does he do? He ignores God. The same God that gave him the power to rip that lion apart. Samson, as thanks to God, completely ignores God. And he betrays a vow that he made to God. And he says, no, I killed that lion. I deserve what was inside of it. He betrays the God who gave him everything for what? A handful of what? Honey. Who would be stupid enough to betray God for a handful of honey? The answer is so many people do that every single day. We betray the God who has blessed us for a little bit of honey for a little bit of something, for stupid, sinful things, for a feel-good moment that lasts for a second and then is gone. But chasing those things only hurts us and those around us in the long run. So what makes a strong person weak? Number one, it's lust. Number two, it's entitlement. I deserve it. And now let's look at the last one here. Number three, pride. Pride. We think I can handle it. I don't need God. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. What were Samson's three vows? Help me out. He said, don't cut your what? Hair. Don't touch dead things. And don't get what? Drunk. So what does he do? What does Mr. Strong, Mr. I can handle it, what does he do? Verse 10. Verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for young men. So what's going down? His parents cave in to his demands, and they're planning this wedding with him and this Philistine woman. And Samson holds a feast, as is customary for the bridegroom. The Hebrew word that's translated as feast means a party. Very literally, it was an occasion for drinking, an occasion for drinking alcohol. So let me tell you what he did. Samson throws himself this big old keg party, and he calls all his frat buddies together and they tap the keg and they're like, I'm getting married, bachelor party time. Time to have some fun. That's what can happen when strong people over and over and over again think that they've got it all under control and they know what they're doing. God has given him great potential. God has given us great potential to do great things in our life to bring glory to his name. 
That's what he wants for each and every one of us. And yet so often we think I'm strong enough. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. I don't need God. And I don't know what it could be for you, but all of us, we know someone in our life with great potential, but they think, I just want that drink. I just want that pill. I just want that smoke, that one night stand, that whatever it might be, because I deserve it, because I can handle it. I'm in control. But before long, an addiction is actually handling them. We know again and again and again and again, someone who says, I want that car. I want that toy. Don't tell me about the interest rate. I can handle it. I can handle the payments. And before long, they're drowning in debt and feeling like they can't get out and they can't catch a breath. If we fast forward to the end of Samson's life, and we'll talk more about that in a few weeks, but let me tell you what we're going to see. We're going to see the world's strongest man who from birth God had his hand upon. We're going to see that man with his eyes gouged out. We're going to see the world's strongest man, the strongest man who ever lived, bound in chains with his prized hair shaved off. And we're going to see him in front of 3,000 of his enemies in a coliseum. And he's going to be the entertainment. And they're going to be laughing at him. And they're going to be mocking him. That's what lust, entitlement, and pride can do to a person. A person who could have made an even greater difference in the world than what he did. Now, you might say, well, why, why are you telling me this, AJ? Am I going to have my eyes gouged out? No, I, I'm, I'm telling you it could be something much worse than that for some of us. It could be you ending up in your 60s or 70s or 90s, looking back at life at a failed marriage or a fractured relationship with your children and realizing, oh, my gosh, that was mostly my fault. I can't believe I'm here at this stage of life with these regrets. I'm telling you, there, there could be a day if you continue down a certain path when your children don't want to see you at Christmas because they don't respect you. And you'll have to live with that because of decisions you're making today. There could be a time when your private life that you think nobody knows about becomes public and you don't even want to go out in public anymore because you're humiliated. And you don't want people to see you because of your actions and decisions that you made. Church, that's where sin leads. It starts out sweet like a little bit of honey. It always leads to destruction and death. But here's the deal. It doesn't have to go down that way. It doesn't have to go down that way. You have a God who loves you and who wants you to have victory over sin in your life. You have a God who says, there is spiritual greatness that I want to see blossom within you, and that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can live inside of you and give you the power to not be a prisoner of sin, but to have victory over it in your life. And with God's Holy Spirit, no matter what you've been into, 
no matter what you've done in your past, you can be transformed and you can be made new. And no matter how old you are, even wounds from the past, even scars and damaged relationships can find some healing in this life and into eternity through the power of God. That's what our God offers each and every one of us. He wants to make you new. And you can make a difference in your family, in your church, and in this world. You can be a man or woman of great courage and great honor. You can be a man or woman with spiritual strength. You can be a man or woman who defends the defenseless in this world. You can be a godly husband and father or wife and mother. No matter what's happened in your past, you can be all of that if you stop trying to just be strong and do things in your own strength. Because see, here's the deal. Our spiritual enemy, Satan, loves to make strong people weak. But we have a God who loves us so much and loves to make weak people strong. And our God is with you and our God is for you. And if you didn't know that, you need to know it today. You have a God who loves you and he is not against you. He is for you. We serve a God who when we admit and say, God, I'm weak and I'm vulnerable and I've been wrong and I need your strength and I need you, our God specializes in meeting us right where we're at and making weak people strong. He wants to redeem you. He wants to lift you up. He wants to use you for his glory. So today we've seen three traps that can make strong people weak. I want to end really quickly in our last couple minutes on a positive note. And I want to give you three things that can make a weak person strong. So instead of falling for lust and saying, I want it, I want it, I got to have it. Instead, why don't we say this? Number one, why don't we say, I want God first? I want God first. Can you guys say that with me this morning, church? Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. God first. Yeah. I want his strength. I want him first. I want that daily power in my life. I want to get up first thing in the morning with my coffee and open up my prayer journal and spend five minutes connecting with him and say, God, in this day, I want you first. I want your spirit living inside of me. I want you leading my steps and helping me make decisions. Holy Spirit, I want you to convict me when I'm sinning. Correct me. Lead me into righteousness. I want you first. Number two, instead of falling for the trap of entitlement and saying, I deserve this and I deserve that and why don't I have this? Instead, we realize this truth. Number two, I know I deserve death. That's harsh, but it's scripturally accurate. What do you deserve, men? Death. Some of the women are now thinking, this is a good message. Get him, pastor. It's good. <laughs> Guess what, ladies? You deserve death too. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve for our sinfulness against a holy, perfect God. Eternal separation, spiritual death. And that's what sin leads to, Right? The consequences of sin is death, death of a relationship, the death of a future, the death of our lives, 
we're not entitled to anything. God doesn't owe us anything. In fact, he's given us so much. He's given us our lives. He's given us the world we, we you know, live on. He's given us so much. And when we realize that we were dead in our sins, but while we were yet sinners, God in his love and mercy and goodness sent his son Jesus to save us. That Jesus willingly died upon a cross to pay the price for all of our sins once and for all. When we realize that spiritual truth, we are humbled before a holy God saying, thank you, God. Thanks for loving me first. I want to serve you. I want to love you back, and I want you to be first in my life. But it starts with that understanding that we don't deserve anything. We're not entitled to anything. And the last one, number three, when every other strong person falls for the trap of pride and says, I got it. I'm strong. I can handle it. It's about me. Instead, no, we're going to say this. We're going to say, I need God's help. I need God's help. I don't know about you, but I'm capable of anything ungodly without the presence of God in my life. I need God's help to be able to make it through this life. So number one, I want God to be first in my life. Number two, I understand that I'm a sinner and I need him. I need salvation. I need a savior. I need Jesus. And number three, I need God's help in life. I need his strength in my life. I need his Holy Spirit living in me. You can be a person of courage and integrity. You can be a person of spiritual strength. You can be a person who defends the defenses. You can be a person after God's own heart. But you'll never be that person as long as you're just walking in your own strength. Because God loves to make the weak strong. And in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Can we pray, church? Let's pray together with heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, again, I know this message is going to land in a lot of places for a lot of people. But, um, Father, I, I pray for, for all the different situations and circumstances in the room here. Pray for our teenagers who've got many decisions left ahead of them, Lord. Pray for our adults who are kind of in the midst of life right now, juggling a lot of plates. I pray for our seniors who've done a lot of work in this life. And there's some good results and maybe some regrets that they carry too, Father God. But you love them. And you still have great plans for them, for their future, for their families. Father, I pray that you would give us just wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today in the story of Samson. But God, you would also give us the courage to take action, to make a course correction, to make some changes in our life that we need to make so that we can truly be people who are filled with your spirit, able to do incredible things in this world for your glory. Father God, I want to pray especially for our men during this series as Father's Day is coming up. And God, I pray that some men would be challenged in our church to start to be some spiritual leaders in their home, to love their wives like Christ loves the church.
to pour out love to their children, to lead their families by example, for some kids to see some fathers sitting with a cup of coffee praying in the morning, driving them to school or picking them up and asking how their day went. Can I pray with you about something? What's going on in your life, son? What's going on in your life, daughter? Seeing their wife struggling with something, taking it to God, getting down on their knees and saying, wife, I love you. I want to pray over your life. You're a daughter of the king of the universe. You mean the world to me. Let's lift this up to our heavenly father. Some men of God who would start to change the culture of their family. Father, I also want to pray for the person in here today who maybe, maybe for them it's, it's been just an eye-opening day and, and they've tried to have control of their life for so long. Maybe they thought I could handle this and they've fallen into a trap of sin over and over again. Maybe an addiction, maybe a struggle. And today's their day where they're like, if you are really a God who loves me like that, that you're ready to meet me right where I'm at. You're the God who sent your son to die for me, to pay the price for all my wrongs, for everything I've ever screwed up on. That you offer me forgiveness and grace and a new story with you. Man, I'm in. I'm all in. God, I love you. I need you. Can you make me a weak person strong? And I will love you for the rest of my life into eternity. If that's you here this morning, I want to ask you to have five seconds of incredible courage and strength. And would you just lift up a hand and say, that's me, pastor. I need a relationship with God this morning. That is me today. Would you pray for me? Praise God. I see someone. Praise God. Somebody else. Anybody else this morning? Praise God. Somebody else here today. Is there anybody else? And I know we do this often around here, but I just want to tell you, this is the greatest decision you could ever make in your entire life. And maybe your heart right now is just beating in your chest so hard. And that's because you're not here by accident this morning. I believe you're here on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. The God of the universe calls you his daughter, his son, knew you were going to be here this morning and is speaking to you. If you're ready to say, yeah, God, if you know me, if you love me like that, I'm in. I love you. I want to give my life to you today. Would you lift a hand? I'll just ask one more time this morning. Would you say, that's me, God, I need you. I need you in my life. Praise God. Let me pray with you guys this morning. And if that was you and you just lifted a hand, if you're making that decision right now in your mind and your heart, would you just pray, Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me first. Thank you for meeting me right where I'm at. God, I'm not perfect. I've done some wrong in my life. But today, I want to make a change. I, I want to move my faith from myself and being in control. And I want to move that to my Savior, Jesus. I believe that Jesus died for me and I believe he rose from the grave, that he is the son of God. And God, for the rest of my life, I want to walk 
in a relationship with you day by day, step by step. I don't even know what that looks like, but I believe you're going to help me. You're going to help make a weak person strong. I love you, God. You can have my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate some decisions made this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Let's stand together, continue to just celebrate God and sing as the worship team leads us.
God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. We're going to close in prayer in a moment. I just uh, I want to tell you all about uh, a trip Zahir and I made on Friday. Uh, we went down to um, three different homeless encampments, handed out socks and underwear and Pop-Tarts and sandwiches and uh, lots of other things. Uh, really great time. The best part is actually seeing Zahira in her element. Uh, I just kind of stood around and carried the bags because that was what I was good for. Uh, but man, Zahira is such a blessing. You guys, I really encourage you, talk to her about it. Uh, ask when we're going next and go with her. She, I mean, she's just she's fantastic. Uh, hugging everybody, kissing everybody, talking to everybody. And like I said, I just stood there like a doofus holding a bag. Um, but it was... It was a really great time. Uh, we are, we're still taking donations. Uh, this is something we plan to do uh, as often as, as possible, I think every couple weeks. Uh, and so Pop-Tarts, uh, underwear, socks, they really, they really appreciate, especially now it's coming into winter time or summertime, the low socks. Uh, so if, if you have any of those, that'd be great. All right, let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you're a good God, a good Father, and that we can trust you in all things. Lord, we thank you for your grace that is continually poured out upon us in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our mistakes. Lord God, we're so thankful for your love and for your grace. God, we pray that this week you would continue to draw us to you draw us to the cross where we can encounter you, but where we can also deny ourselves. God, I pray for each family and each individual here today, Lord, that your blessing, your presence, your spirit would be upon them. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Go in peace. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay. to you.